Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. I believe it's page 829 in your pew Bibles. But what we are doing is we are working through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is accelerating his journey to the cross. He's going to make all the right people angry. And uh, he's doing so if you're just arguing for the... He's just arguing over what the Bible says. He's telling them what God said. And so today we're in the series of confrontations and debates and discussions. We get to debate and discuss morality, uh, that there is a right and wrong, and Jesus is going to help us think through how we, how we live as moral people, uh, as Christians. And so let's read this. Let's read God's word and we'll pray. This is God speaking to us today. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this is God's word. It is true, trustworthy, and given to us in love. Let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would teach us how to live lives of love. Lives that are also submitted to your law. But most of all, show us Jesus, who, uh, who loved us by obeying the law for us and uh, giving us that gift of being treated like we were obedient. So Holy Spirit, come, help us believe the gospel, overcome our unbelief, and just deepen our love for our God, our Father, uh, for Jesus who died for us, and for you, Spirit, who makes us aware. And then help us love our neighbor as we have been loved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you go about convincing someone uh, that the Philadelphia Eagles are the best football team? <laughs> I, clearly, I am unbiased here. <laughs> right, that anyone who disagrees is just, well, prejudiced, uneducated, simple. Um, right, you can use reason, you can get out the statistics, you can pull out the last Super Bowl score. Uh, you can take surveys, you can say, look, the, Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love, ignore the fact that they booed Santa, right? We love the Eagles, go Eagles. Right? You can use experience to convince people, take them to the game, right? Let them, let them taste it, let them see the, the celebration, the joy of uh, watching grown men destroy each other on the field. Um, you could say, as people have done, right? Carson Wentz and Nick Foles love Jesus. Let's bring Jesus into the conversation. Right? You, got, you ever heard that with football? God must love the Eagles because there's Christians on the team. I'm not saying that, just to be clear. I mean, this, is, this is recorded. It's, <laughs> God doesn't bless a football team, particularly because of the players. Right? Or, right, you could just get in charge and just make it a law in your office that you can't speak bad against the Eagles. Right? You, can, you can fight for it. You can argue. And I, I'm, this is being silly, but part of the reason I'm starting with a silly example is um, this is how people think about morality, 
these days. That there's no difference about it. That we know that there is a right thing to do, but we don't like to say that there is a right thing to do for everybody. And therefore, morality is just like choosing your favorite ice cream, uh, just like choosing your favorite sports team. And we might not be that crass, but we, but we would argue, right, what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you, and that's okay. Just like ice cream. Uh, just like football teams. And 10 years ago, that's generally how it was. We would call this relativism, if you're a philosopher, um, where there is no right or wrong, and, and we do the best we can to love our neighbor, but um, you don't need to beat other people up about it. But nowadays, if you claim that the Bible is, the Bible's system of morality is true for everybody, regardless of where you live, what culture, what time, what place, right? you're not just disagreed with and saying you're just narrow-minded, uh, you're accused of being prejudiced. Actually, the Bible's system of morality and the content of, of what God's law said is being accused of being not loving. All right. And so we have this weird place in our culture where we, we want right and wrong because we want to tell people they're wrong. We never stop telling people they're wrong. But at the same time, um, we're arguing over what, how to love people. That's really what it is. You know, we don't want to have, say there's a standard, but we know we need to get along. And clearly it's not working out. And so this is the conversation that Jesus is entering into. Right? Because this is where I want to start just by saying, you need a moral line drawn in the sand because if there is no right and wrong that is true for everyone, this is how I heard it said recently, all you're left with is just everybody yelling at each other and trying to get power to enforce your way on other people, which is where we're at. We've gotten rid of the idea that there is a standard to hold other people to outside of ourselves. And so the only thing we can do is scream louder. And so in that, this conversation about morality, here come the Pharisees, and they are people who are, they love the Bible. They are more conservative in their morals than the Bible. They figured out, they did the hard work, that there are 613 commandments in the Scriptures, and we must keep every one to keep God happy. This is their worldview of, I want God to bless me, I need to obey. And so if you could just picture a giant star chart, we're all back in kindergarten with, with the little guys, and you have a star chart for obedience, and each row is a different commandment, this is a huge chart, and you have to get a star every day to, to keep God happy, to get God off your back. Otherwise, you get an angry face. I know I'm simplifying it, but this just helps you see how the Pharisees saw the world, that the way to keep God happy, to get his blessing, to have his presence with you, to have him enjoy you is to keep his commandments. But there are a lot of commandments, Jesus, so which one is the greatest? What is, what is the most important? Make it simple for us, Jesus. Why don't you make the law, the moral law, easy? Or at least easier. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. They had one rule. I know they blew it, but at least give us just one to think about. And just to illustrate how hard that is, right, it seems like it would be easy. Just pick one commandment and say, this is the most important. Put all your energy into that. But as soon as you do that, you're going to start an argument. And people are going to start yelling at each other again. Right, so just to illustrate how divisive this is, um, I want to use the movie Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. It's one of the greatest movies. It's, it's, it's a film history movie. They, and it's a story in Brooklyn, New York, about an Italian-American named Sal who owns a pizzeria. And in his community, all the Italians have left. 
or most of them anyway. And now it's, it's becoming increasingly multi-ethnic, mainly African-American, but he stays. His, his one son wants him to leave. His other son is fine with it staying. He's staying to love the neighborhood. But in Brooklyn in 1989, uh, there are all kinds of racial tensions. Uh, the Italians don't get along with the African-Americans. The Latinos and the Koreans don't play nice together. The Caucasians complain about the Puerto Ricans. It's tense. It's summer, it's 100 degrees, it's humid, and this all takes place on one day. And the big argument in the movie is about who should be on the wall of fame in this pizzeria. Right? Because Sal's Italian, he's got all these Italian celebrities. You've got Rocky Balboa, right? Italian celebrity. But the neighborhood doesn't look like Sal. And so a young African-American named Buggin' Out, that's his nickname, um, starts an argument with Sal saying, you should include black celebrities because that's who you're serving. And the tensions, well, the argument just gets louder. Racial slurs are exchanged both ways. Protests are organized outside of the restaurant. It escalates, it culminates in violence. Police are called. There's an unjust death. The restaurant is destroyed by a mob. Um, it's very similar to life today, actually, unfortunately. And the movie ends, the name of the movie is Do the Right Thing. And it ends with two quotes. One by Martin Luther King, where he says, violence is just impractical and immoral. Right? The old law of an eye for an eye just leaves everyone blind. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys a community and makes brotherhood impossible. Right? So don't, violence is not the answer. Do the right thing in a movie filled with violence. And then here comes Malcolm X, who says, this is the end of the movie, there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people, and it seems like most of the bad people are in power. Therefore, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to end injustice. It doesn't mean I advocate violence, but at the same time, I'm not against using violence and self-defense. I don't even call it violence when it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. Do the right thing. All right, so class, <laughs> which of God's commandments should you use in the midst of racial prejudice? Be a good neighbor. You could say don't kill, argue for nonviolence like Martin Luther King. You could say, this is a super conservative argument, um, you shouldn't covet, which is super cruel to say to the poor. Right? Be content in your situation in the midst of injustice. You could say don't steal, which is another way of saying you need to work really hard to improve your situation. Um, you also have the commandments to fight injustice. Defend the weak, care for the poor. Uh, definitely stand on the side of the foreigner among you. But what about the commandments to love God? I mean, where do those fit in the situation? Uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, in the midst of these racial tensions, repeatedly leaned on these commandments. He said, what matters most is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus doesn't want the church to get involved in social issues. And so they ignored their neighbors, painfully. God have mercy on us. But they said that the mission of the church is to help people love God, make disciples, and it's not our job to get involved with the social issues. So how do you pick one? Which commandment is the greatest? Love God don't kill, don't covet it, don't have sex outside of marriage, fight injustice, defend the poor. 
What matters more, a relationship with God or the rules to love your neighbor, spiritual or social? And Jesus' answer here is absolutely astounding. It's category-busting. It's beautiful. But at the end, and this is what I want you to see when we get there, if you hear Jesus as what he is saying, you should be humbled into silence. Nobody dared to ask him any more questions after this. Because he, he stumped them. They tried to play stump the chump, and he, he fired back, and they were silent. And so let's listen to Jesus' answer. What is the right thing to do? What is the main thing God wants from you? And, how do you, and then how do you live it? All right, so qu- point one, what's the right thing? Jesus' answer in verse 37 is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two depend all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus says, the most important commandment is to love God with all your being. And so right at the beginning, here's here's the challenge for us as 21st century Americans. Jesus says there is a clear right and wrong. There is a system of morality that applies to everybody. And he does so not not arguing based on his own opinion. He quotes the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Deuteronomy 6 says, love God. And uh, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you remember, the Jews are asking Jesus, Jesus, make the law easier to obey. Simplify our attempts to get on God's good side. What do I have to do? And the very first thing Jesus says is you have to obey the God who is. Love him. And so this is, when it comes to law, here's the first thing I want us to, to consider, and I want to rattle your brain and help you think through this. And if you have questions, please come talk to me. This will be a good conversation. But according to Jesus, every human being is commanded to love God and to love their neighbor. It's not just a Christian law. It's universal. And what Jesus does is he makes us immensely personal. Because he says, I want you to love the Lord your God. You have to claim him. And it, at first it seems like it's just a, a religious thing, right? Just, just those who believe in, in the God of the Bible. Because this God is Yahweh, the Lord. The God of the Old Testament. The God who said, my name is Yahweh. Right? So this is personal. Right? If, for those who are married, if you think about your spouse, right, there's a general command to love your spouse, but the moment you're told to love the person who has a name, right? I love Bethany, my wife, that makes obedience to her uh, following rules in a relationship with her personal. Right? Love your wife. Love your spouse. Right? So when, when God says, love me, he's saying, I am making your obedience personal. Love Yahweh. Be in a relationship with him. And if you're saying, well, I'm not a Christian, I don't know your God, I'm trying to figure out, even if I want to know your God, well, Yahweh in the Bible is not just Israel's God. You go back to the beginning, he's the creator. He is the one who made absolutely everything in heaven and earth, who made people to be moral like him, 
made in his image and likeness. Which makes sense of our world, don't you think? There's a reason why you cannot stop saying to people, you really should do that. (laughs) You must do that. You ought to do that. We're making moral judgments all the time because we were made in God's image who is moral. And so even if you say in your head, I don't want to tell other people what to do, you can't not do it because God made us to love and obey him. To Jesus, what he's doing is making, showing how God's law is personal. To love the Lord your God, Yahweh, your creator, who's demanding a law-keeping relationship. Now, second, this is, this is going to get... This is getting deeper. According to Jesus, you can't do the right thing unless you love God, unless you're in this relationship. And this is probably the most controversial, but you need to hear it, right? Because God is personal. He demands love like a jealous lover. He's saying, enjoy me, delight in me, um, want to obey me. But he's also connecting the first commandment and the second commandment. You need to love God and love your neighbor on these two commandments. Hold them together Stand the law and the prophets. I know it's provocative, but Jesus is saying you cannot be a good person unless you have a personal love for this God who made you. Doesn't mean you're not going to do good things without him. It doesn't mean you're not going to be a nice person. Please be a nice person. We want nice neighbors. (laughs) Uh, But when it comes to obeying God's moral law, what he's teaching is you cannot be good unless there's a love relationship with the living God. Right? So your neighbors, which is great, right? You go to Aldi's and somebody gives you a quarter, it saves you a quarter when you, to, to get your cart. Right? That is a nice thing to do, that is a neighborly thing to do, but unless it's done in love for God, uh, there's a sense where Jesus is saying, you're just missing out on the fuller picture. Right? Or, or our local rotary, right? they give away a ton of money every year. They're doing good things. Celebrate it. But if you're supposed to love God as the motivation to love your neighbor, and you only love your neighbor without loving God, you're making what's meant to be personal impersonal. So I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this. If I am in a relationship with my wife, And to love her, I need to squeeze... This is not true. I'm making this up on the fly. But if you need to squeeze the toothpaste tube at the bottom in order to not annoy her, that is a law that that only makes sense in our relationship. Just because someone else, some other guy, squeezes the toothpaste tube at the bottom, it doesn't automatically assume that nice thing they're doing is for my wife. You need the context of the relationship to be moral. That's what Jesus is teaching. You can be a decent, law-abiding citizen, but not keeping God's law of love. Now, do you have a category for people like that, where you love them, you respect them, you praise them, but you also recognize that uh, they're good, but not law-keepers, according to God's word? Now, Jesus is trying to... Remember the question, Jesus, will you make God's law easier? He's making it harder. Because he's saying morality has to include a love for the God who made you. And then third, here, just listen to the command. He summarizes everything. He says, God's law demands from you an all-consuming, personal, and passionate obedience. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And 
Think about your heart. The heart in the Bible is your control center, what you love most. So what at the very core of your being, whom you must live for, love, pursue, treasure, value, all those words, it's supposed to be God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And saying, love God more than your stuff, more than your money, your marriage, your career, your kids. God is to be the supreme lover in your life. And because he's a jealous lover, he will have no other. That's just one part. Love God with all your soul. And I know this sounds abstract to us. I've always heard this of saying, how do I love God with that part of me that floats to heaven, the non-material, the non-physical, right? But what, what this actually means is to love God with all your life, your body, right? I'm going to go a little bit of a Hebrew nerd on you for a minute, but it's really helpful, right? The, he, the Hebrew word for soul is nephesh, and it can be translated soul, life, or throat. I had to memorize this in seminary, and I had no idea why those three things were together. But what it's telling you, I'm going to use this image, you are called to love God with your throat. This thing right here. Now, why is that so important? It's it's an image. What do you use your throat for that's so key and connected to all of your life? You use it to breathe. So love God with your words, with all of your breath with all of your being. This is starting to include everything. Um, Use your throat to eat and drink, to stay alive. So love God with your body, with what you put in your mouth, with what you drink. I mean, this is a a pretty cool metaphor. It's just telling you to love God with all of your physical life, with what you do here on earth. Love God with all your soul. Which means, to love God... God cares about what you do with your body. He cares about sex. He cares about violence, about hugs, about kisses, about alcohol, about, about gluttony. All of that's involved in loving God with all your soul. And so all that really means is love God with all your heart, love him personally, passionately, and then love him with every nook and cranny of your life. And then love, love God with your mind. To which every pastor says, yes, (laughs) read more books, read the Bible. But if you think about it, if you're in a love relationship with somebody, you want to know them, and that involves your mind, remembering what they like and dislike, just getting to know their personality. God is not just commanding you to love him with your emotions and your actions and your behavior. He's expecting you to love him with your thoughts, with your understanding of him and the world. He's, he's saying, get to know me. See, to become a Christian is not to turn off your brain. Uh, to become a Christian is to use your brain to love God. So read the Bible. Get to know the God who is. Uh, read good books that help you better understand the Bible to get to know God. And so if you summarize all of what Jesus is saying, is you can't avoid morality, you live in a moral world because God himself is moral. And you are in an inescapable relationship with a moral God. The only question is whether you are listening or running away. That's what Jesus is getting at. That God designed the universe to be a world of loving law keepers. A world of love. That's what the law is about. And the Pharisees said, Jesus, make this easier. Do you feel like it's easier yet? 
It actually goes deeper. Because loving the Lord God, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is also about your motivation, about why you do what is, what is good. It's saying love God because he first loved you. Because how does he become your God? Well, in the Old Testament, in the, the, the Jews who first heard those words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, God also told them, look, you are not in this relationship because there's anything special about you. This is Deuteronomy 7. I chose you to be my treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. And it's not because you're more numerous than other people. It's because the Lord set his love and affection on you. And it's simply because the Lord loves you. And so what the great commandment is like in explaining, God loves you. He loved you first. Now love him in return. And do, He's saying, now that you're in a relationship with the God who loves you, respond by loving him and doing what he commands, and do that every day of, of your life with all your strength. And then the second commandment is just like it. If you don't feel weak yet, he adds the second one about dealing with people, which is to look at everyone around you, your neighbor, regardless of wealth, just because they're human, because they're made in the image of God, love them the same energy that you love yourself. Put the same amount of energy into seeing your neighbors, into caring for your neighbors. Um, treat them like they're part of your family, is what this is getting at. And because it's connected to loving God, it's also saying you cannot claim to love God if you despise your neighbor. So let me summarize all this. It's a great quote by the old African teacher, St. Augustine, and he says, all God's commandments are rightly carried out only when the, the main motive is love of God and the love of your neighbor simply because they are created by God. That's, that's the line in the sand that Jesus draws that says, you have to do this. There are, there are rules to live by. There is a right thing. Now, how do you deal with that? How do you process what Jesus just said? Because Jesus is, this is the second point, saying is, Jesus is saying all you need is love. We live in God's inescapably moral universe. It's designed to be a universe of love. And usually what we do is try and avoid the rules by saying just love people. We don't want to be specific. We just want to use that generic word to love people. And what Jesus says here is so radical, it's so astounding. He says that God's law is motivated by and defined by love and vice versa. His love is filled out by the law. If you want to know what love looks like, read God's law. And what Jesus does is he's putting God's moral rules, he's putting rules and relationship together. He's saying, in order to love people, you need to obey the law. In order to obey the law, you need to love people. Don't separate them. And this is beautiful. This is the life you want to live. This is the life I want to live. So if you take, I'll put it this way, take the Ten Commandments. If you cannot live a life of love without God's moral law, let's use the best summary we have of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus is saying, you know what they're main about, mainly about is loving God and loving your neighbor. It's all about love. 
Love, love, love. And so, think about the commandment, don't kill. It's really saying, love your neighbor enough that you value their life. That you value them so highly that you would fight to do away with your anger, because anger, according to Jesus, is the seed of murder and a lack of love. It's the beginning of hatred. Don't kill is not only saying just don't physically harm somebody. It's saying love them and even love your enemies because they too are your neighbor. And you want to fill it out even more, it's saying you should actually care about the thriving and and well-being of those next to you. Right? When you if, if it's all about love, there's a reason you put a fence around your pool. It's in fulfillment of the commandment, don't kill, because you don't even want to accidentally harm your neighbor. Right? You can say, don't commit adultery. It's, it's a positive command to love your spouse permanently. Right? To, to break the no physical intimacy out of marriage command is actually unloving of your neighbor because you're, you're binding yourself only partially outside of marriage. You're saying, I'm going to use your body. I'm not going to give my fullness to you. It's all about love. Um, don't lie. It's saying, love your neighbor enough to be honest with them. Actually tell them what you're like occasionally. You don't want to scare them off in the first conversation. But it's, it's a part of just not lying, not bearing false witness would include confessing your sin, ask, seeking forgiveness, loving somebody that much. It's also a command to work for social justice because to bear false witness would be to on the stand in a court of law and to lie to commit perjury. And so when you're on the stand, love your neighbor. Tell them, just explain what happened. doesn't matter whether you're your friends or not, you have to stand on the side of truth because you love them, which means you're not a loving person if you aren't willing to confront somebody who's in, in sin, who's immoral. Because you have to be honest. Fake news is unloving and unlawful. Uh, you could talk about stealing. Positively, it's telling you to love your neighbor enough to be generous with them. Right? To help See, to love the poor is, is wrapped up in don't steal. You see the picture? I mean, if we were to live out the moral law and, and to be a loving person, you would be a person that everyone would look at in awe, saying, what kind of person are you? Why would you do these crazy things? Because to live lawfully in God's world is to live a life of love. Don't separate them. Do you feel the weight? At the end of this conversation, nobody asked Jesus any, anything else. They stopped. They shut up because he said, oh no, I can't do that. Right? Because what he did is Jesus just made the law beautiful. If the motivation is love, then it's painting a picture of a world of how it should be, where we enjoy God and love one another. But at the same time, it's crushing because Jesus took the 613 commandments and molded them down into one thing, and that one command is so heavy, we just can't bear the weight of it. Because how can you possibly love God personally, passionately, and perpetually your whole life, every moment of every day, from birth to the grave? And then love your neighbor like that. 
And this is the last point. How do you do it? How in the world do you live up to this moral law that Jesus is going to hold everyone accountable to at the end of the day? He says, go live a life of lawful love. And I know if law-keeping is the way to love God, I personally, as I don't love God as I ought. But then at the same time, if there's no moral law and you just try and get away from it and say, I'm going to throw out the rules, the only way to get your own way is to yell, to vote your own person in power, to control others. And if you do the law well, I mean, this is why we get rid of the law in the first place, is it not? If I'm doing well, you know, we go back to that star chart picture. If I have more stars than the person next to me, I feel like I'm doing pretty good and I feel like I'm better than them. And if I don't have enough stars and then I feel terrible about myself, and it's, it's impossible not to hate yourself if, if you're falling short. There are two different ways of being arrogant, actually. So how do you deal with God's moral law that comes down like a ton of bricks, even as it comes down with a promise of being loved? Now, you remember back in the Sermon on the Mount, I looked this up, this was almost over a year ago, but Jesus said, unless your goodness exceeds that of those of the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So that feeling you have right now, and I have right now, of I'm not good enough. Jesus says that's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. You have to recognize that. That's how you get into a relationship with this God. Um, Humility. Saying you've called me to live lovingly and I've fallen short. I mean, this is step one towards being a loving person is learn to admit your failures and weakness, which is to confess your sin. It's actually hopeful to say there is such a thing of sin and to be labeled as a sinner. Because it means you are expected to love. We don't get mad at dogs when they bite you. And we do because it hurts. But we don't, say, we don't bring down the moral law and say, God said you shall not do that. Feel bad about yourself. Because no, we don't expect it. But if you're human and you say, I expect you to love me and you've fallen short, it's a beautiful thing. So step one to start walking the journey of being a loving person, a loving God, loving your neighbor, is to say out loud, I'm a, God, I can't keep your law. I need help. I can't earn your love through my works. And then second, once you get there, if, if the only way in is to be a loving person, love God and love your neighbor, how do you get in? And you have to receive what Jesus has earned for you. Receive the lawful life of love from Jesus. You know how Jesus summarizes this? And that's how we're going to end here. He puts the two greatest commandments together in John 15. He says, As my heavenly Father has loved me, I loved you. And this is now my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no love, no, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. So you know what Jesus is after? He wants you to learn to love like Jesus loves you. And how did Jesus love while he was on earth? He loved God with his heart, with his throat, with all of his body, 
with his mind and with all of his energy. From the cradle to the grave. And ironically, this, this Jesus who loves radically, even as he, he doesn't do away with any of the law, he upholds it. As he tells the religious leaders, here's what God's law says, you should love, they get mad and they kill him. And they put him on a cross, and this is what the cross is showing you about the love of Christ. It's showing you, one, your lack of love, my lack of love, that Jesus is, that I am so bad, so unloving, I needed God to love me first, to send his son to die for me. But it's also showing you how loved you are. That Jesus loved God so much that he was willing to go to the cross. He volunteered for it. And he loved his neighbor as himself. He wouldn't want the judgment of God to fall on him. He didn't want it to fall on you, so he, he volunteered to love you. To take God's judgment. To take his wrath so that we might receive God's blessing. And the blessing is to have Jesus' righteousness. That if you have faith, if you seek God like we sung this morning, the reward is to be accepted like you have always lived a life of lawful love in Christ. And that'll make you more humble, more loving, more approachable. You'll, become, you'll be a Christian. You'll be a little Jesus being changed here on earth. And so here's how the moral law works for, for us. Jesus sums it up. Love God by following Jesus and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love as you have been loved. That's the whole New Testament command. Be wounded rather than wound others. Be willing to be patient with the failings of others the way God has been patient with you. Be merciful towards others as God has been merciful towards you. Bear with one another, forgiving one another, being tender-hearted. I mean, these are the, this is the language. And all they're doing is saying, Jesus, love me first. How can I not love others with the great love I've received? See how personal that is? What that does is it'll set you free to talk about hard things. <laughs> you can talk about and say out loud to your neighbors, there is a moral law. God demands you to do it. But the law is all about love. Let's talk about it. See, love demands you and I to, to love God by trusting in his son, but then moving towards your unlawful and unloving neighbors, just like Christ did for you. Go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. That's what we just talked about, that you would love us first and love us even while we were hating you uh, to death on a cross. And so I pray that, that we would deep, help us believe deep down that no matter, no matter what we do in Christ, we can't do anything else to make you love us more. And may that truth then send us towards our neighbors, loving and forgiving as we have been loved and forgiven. So make Hope Church a community of friends who, who love one another because we are loved by you in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.